Hey there, it's Heather Maloney with Fundamental Fast Pitch. So we're doing things a little bit differently this week. We've been hard at it since early this year, recording podcasts uh, two per week for y'all. Um, so we thought we would take a look back at some of our earliest episodes um, and, and give y'all like a mashup of, of three of some of our earliest episodes. So um, first we'll have episode four, the yes, yes, no mentality. This one was a, a good one. We were real excited to get out to y'all because it was the first of our episodes that jumped into the the mental side of things and how to approach the game a little bit differently or, or just more aware of how you're approaching the game. Um, and then we're going to add in episode six, how to run an effective and efficient practice, as well as episode number 10, base running 101 part one. Um, those two episodes are the, the more practical softball information, the nuts and bolts, if you will, of the game. Um, but we're going to mash up those three episodes for you. Um, hope you enjoy these, looking back at some of these earlier episodes. Um, be sure to check out the podcast page, uh, the podcast specific page on Facebook and Instagram. Check those out um, and give us a like and a follow. Um, on behalf of Jessica and Mike, uh, we always want to thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoy these and we'll back, be back at you next week with some fresh new content. You're now listening to Fundamental Fast Pitch. All right, welcome back, everyone. It's Mike here with Jessica Tanner and Heather Maloney on the Fundamental Fast Pitch Podcast. This is episode four, titled the Yes, Yes, No Mentality. Softball's hard. Today, we're going to be talking about what we can do to increase the chances of success on both sides of the ball, offense and defense. Um, Jessica, I'm going to go let you jump right in to start on this. Okay, so um, I'm going to be speaking more so on uh, the offensive side of the ball. So bunning, hitting, uh, things like that. So the yes, yes, no mentality basically just goes into having in a plan, having an approach and wanting to do something as opposed to hoping something happens. So in this case, wanting to hit or wanting to get your bunt down instead of hoping that you walk or hoping, um, for some other situation. So the yes, yes, no mentality specific to hitting is, um, I break it down to actually points, uh, like checkpoints within a pitcher's windup that either in your head or out loud, whatever works for you, you are actually saying to yourself, yes, yes, until it's a no. So for example, on the offensive side, um, as a hitter, I'm stepping in the box looking to hit every single pitch that that pitcher is about to throw me. So in my mind, I'm thinking, yes, 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 this is my pitch. Um, I'm looking to do damage. I'm going to give it my best cut. Having the yes, yes, yes mentality until it's a no. So until it's a ball or until that pitch is one that I'm not, I'm not wanting to hit. So instead of being surprised by a good pitch or letting a good pitch go down the plate or even more so um, taking a defensive swing or getting jammed or not being ready, not getting my barrel out front. I'm going into the box um, thinking yes, yes, until it's a no. Um, this also carries into bunning. So uh, we'll, we'll get more into the types of bunts and situations and things of that nature down the line. But if you're asked to lay down a sacrifice bunt, getting your barrel out early, looking to get your bunt down, knowing that if it's a strike, your job to help your team is getting your bunt down instead of not getting your bat head out front, not being ready, not being prepared, um, letting a good pitch go by that may not be your pitch, but is a good pitch and is a strike. And knowing that in that situation, your role for your team was asked to lay down a sacrifice bunt and being surprised or just mentally 
not in that yes, yes, no mentality. Um, some examples of this when you're hitting um, the hitters that I work with or the, when I tell them, hey, barrel out front or we're looking to hit the ball. Um, I see hitters that are letting the ball get too deep and they're jammed uh, on their hands. They're not getting their barrel out front um, because they're just not ready mentally, physically. Um, it could be a timing issue, but more often than not, they're not stepping into the box with a plan or with an approach to actually go hit the ball and go make something happen. It's more so they're kind of like waiting for something to happen without realizing like they're the ones in control. So having that mindset of yes, yes, until it's a no is a, to me a lot more successful as a hitter. No, it's funny, Jess, because I think the mindset, um, especially you kind of talked about it on earlier editions of the podcast, like girls need to feel good to play good. So the confidence and the mindset, you know, tie in one another. I always go back to, I think I've said to you before, the like you either, especially as you're coming to hit, like there's some people who come up because it's their turn and, and the lineup to hit. And there's some girls that are looking to hit. What can the girls who may be on the latter portion of it do? to get to the former portion like how can we get some of those girls confidence up like what could you suggest something simple potentially that everyone every parent out there could help could help you know their kids do whether it's looking or seeing the ball whether it's the pinto bean stuff like stuff like that what what could you suggest that's that's very basic to to get those girls who may be lacking confidence to where they can become yes yes hitters so to me, the biggest thing is muscle memory, getting them reps. If they're scared of speed, if they're scared to swing, take them to the cages, put them in front of speed, put them in a situation where they are uncomfortable so that they grow and they find that confidence and they it just a light bulb goes off and it's like, oh, hey, I can do hard things. I can handle this. And then you would be amazed at what you see happening in practices and games and how that just directly trans into their approach at the plate. Um, if it's a timing thing, if, if they're struggling with the speed and they're just nervous again, put them in, put them on a machine, crank that speed up. Um, if it's not watching the ball, that's, that's a whole different thing that there's training goggles for that. There's the Pinto beans. There's the small golf ball with balls. Um, there's T drills that you can do. Um, we'll, we'll have all those up and ready for you guys at some point. But as far as the actual confidence at the plate, they have to know that they can do that. They have to know that they can go into the box and they can hit the ball hard. So putting them in situations where they can find that success off the field and have it directly translate like onto the field, I think is the best way to help them, um, to help them kind of work through that mentality. I think some for the, the real younger players, especially like say 10 year where they're first facing uh, live pitching, uh, if you can take some of the pressures away from them, because if it's brand new and now we have a, a ball coming at us that may, may not be um, accurate, you know, accurate um, <laughs> and it's it's a little overwhelming, especially if you're not very experienced. I've had some success with taking, take, just take the bat out of their hands and ask them to stand in the box and stand in there confidently and tell me if that's a pitch that they want to hit or one they want to take. Um, and that has that just kind of takes a little bit of the pressure off and helps them with the decision-making portion of the swing. Um, and then once they kind of get the, the read for what, which pitches I like to swing, or I think I want to swing at, then you put the bat back in their hands and then they have some comfort in knowing that they can make those decisions. Yeah. Awesome. And Heather, I'm going to add to that um, just from a little bit more experience standpoint. So whether they get a little bit older or they're in a little bit more competitive environment, 
taking the same approach, but instead of taking the bat out of their hands, you give them the bat, but you take the thinking out of it. So me personally, if I see a, um, a player struggling at the plate that it's either lacks confidence or lacks decision-making, um, first bat through the lineup, I'll ask them to bunt if they're not comfortable swinging or their timing's off or if I can just tell that they're off, some sort of bunt just to get them seeing the ball, knowing that like, okay, I can put it in play and then maybe next time through the lineup or depending on the type of hitter that's up, I'll give them a hit and run and just say, Hey, you, you have nothing to think about swing the bat, whether I have runners on base or I don't, I need them to know that like, I can hit this ball. I can hit this pitcher. So helping them to kind of take any sort of mental aspect out of it and just, Hey, just go swing the bat. I have found success in that as well. Again, it's going to depend on the player, but that's another kind of option if you want to encourage them to just turn their brain off and go play softball. You know, um, you know, awesome and insightful as always, ladies. Um, you know, specifically, I think the explanation and example of how we're actually saying, yes, yes, this is my pitch. I'm looking to do damage until it's a no is, is super simple to like say out loud, but until you do it and think about it, it's one of those things where, like you said, muscle memory, even in the brain, right? Like, um, I think it was super insightful. And, you know, <laughs> now I'm going to go ahead and admit that I'm going to have to probably listen to that 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 hitting portion of the podcast again at either half speed or twice as someone who was never really a plus hitter. However, I do love me some defense. And Heather, I know you love you some defense as well. What can you tell us about the yes, yes, no mentality as it relates to defense as a yeah, mindset? Defense is fun. So, so I like to say, just to put it in one little simple sentence, is <clears throat> you're making the play until you're not making the play. So, if before the ball is even pitched, before it's hit or anything, you should have a plan in mind. So if you don't have a plan in mind, then you're you're really setting yourself up for, for failure. So for like in a simple situation, let's say you're in the infield and there's no runners on. So before the pitch even is thrown, you need to be thinking, I am if I get the ball, I'm going to one. So as the ball as the ball is pitched and the, it's hit, if it comes to you, you're yes, 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 I have the ball and now I'm making the throw. But let's say maybe it was a slow roller or maybe I bobbled it just a little bit. Um, it's it may, I mean, it may be a close play at first, or maybe she's a fast runner and it, maybe I'm not going to have a play. Well, if I stop after I feel that ball and pick it up and look, it's too late. So I need to, as quick as I can, as smooth as I can, move through the ball, act like I'm going to make the throw. And if I see at the last second that she's, I have no play, she's already safe, then I can just hold on to it. But if I don't have that plan in mind, I'm not going to have a chance. So in a more complex scenario, let's say I'm playing first base and there's a runner on first, um, maybe it's ball it to third base or something, and they throw the ball to me to get the run, get the, the batter out at first. My plan before that pitch is even thrown is that I'm going to catch the ball to get that at first, and then I'm throwing to third. So if I set myself up to catch the ball, make that transfer, get my feet set, I can make that throw to three, but if she's not going, I don't have to throw it either. So um, having that yes, yes, no really helps, especially in the, in like the, you know, those playmaker plays where the diving plays, the ones that are really fun to watch. Um, if, if I don't have a plan, if I'm not thinking, yes, 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 I'm making this play, even if the ball's not even hit to me on this pitch, then uh, the chances of me making that diving play or even attempting it are really, really low. So having a, a plan and then, in my head telling, thinking aloud, yes, this is my ball, even if it's not my ball, I'm still breaking towards it. Yes, 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 until I don't have a play. 
No, and I, and I think that's great. I think, you know, some of our younger players, as we touch on a lot during this podcast, may have some trouble tracking, you know, as they're beginning with the outs and where the base runners are and where the correct play is, but especially as the girls get older and, you know, advance, like, it's so simple, right? But just knowing where the runners are at and knowing how many outs take so much of the guesswork and so much of the difficulty out of, you know, playing defense, which is hard. Defense right. isn't and, easy. Right. Definitely not. And even if you, even if you have the, the wrong play in mind, um, so, you know, things change on the fly, you know, uh, things don't go as planned always. So even if you have the wrong play in mind, your brain is already thinking, um, not in the moment it already has a plan so it's already it's already in motion so you can adjust a lot quicker if you have some sort of plan in mind no absolutely and i think like you said it's just having that that foresight to to know what's going on whether you have to adjust on the fly or whether you're able to play it out as it is. it's just i it's it's, a, it's funny because you know we we we, we kind of tie back and relate like like relatable issues you know where at the field this weekend and you know a ball's hit and you can see the girl make a great play heather like incredible play to get to the ball and then you look at her face and she's like oh my god like Surprise what, do I, what do i do like i made a great play what do i do with the ball and it's something yeah. that as coaches you know you want to continue to reinforce in a positive way just hey like this is what we're doing this is what we're doing i think as jessica said the muscle member of the hitting uh, m- m- like muscle memory is just, especially for the soft like you side of things, is just as important on the defensive side of the ball, Jess. No, absolutely. And I, I actually want to add on two things um, to Heather's conversation about defense. So me with an, an outfielder's background, the yes, yes, no mentality is from an outfield standpoint, I am going to go after any ball that has hit my direction and I'm calling off any infielder that I think I can get to. Cause you got to think, especially on the younger ages, it is very difficult to run backwards. So <laughs> from an outfield perspective, my yes, yes, no is I'm getting there. I'm calling off any infielder that I think I can take the ball away from because it's an easier play. I've got a better read of the field. I can see my runners. It's a lot easier to run in than it is to run back. Backwards. So my yes, yes, no for outfielders is if you can catch it, call your infielder off, get them out of the way, go make a play. And then also, um, like Heather said, things can change on the fly. Um, things can not always go as planned. So I am a planner beyond planners. So I, I like to have a plan A, B and C. So what happens if you have a plan in your head and it doesn't go your way? Um, one of my favorite things to see with especially like the younger girls is seeing the game of softball start to click so it's for example let's take that same situation um runner at first base let's say the ball's hit to a third base and she bobbles it and kicks it around and she goes up to make a play at first knowing um good and well that she does not have a play to make she doesn't have a chance at making that out what can you do in those situations where things don't go as planned so being able to know okay i can create opportunities from things that don't go by either selling like a pump fake to first and trying to draw that runner at two or just taking a peek and saying if she has a big lead where I can back pick her to second base, get in a rundown, end up getting that lead out. Just knowing that even though you have a plan and if it doesn't go your way, you can adjust, you can create opportunities out of thin air and you are always adjusting on the fly. So I think that's an important aspect as well. All right, jumping out of episode four, the yes, yes, no mentality, straight into episode six, how to run an efficient and effective practice. Guys, how to run an effective and an efficient practice. Heather, as I kind of alluded to quickly, having a plan is key. 
um, expectations by age probably is where we should get started. What do you think? Yeah, so definitely have a plan. Please don't show up at the fields, you know, with your bucket of balls and just step out on the field and say, okay, what should we do? Um, not necessarily that it's not necessarily that you have to, you know, write everything out to the T, but have something, at least a mental list of the things you'd like to accomplish uh, at that practice. So have a plan, uh, have a plan B just in case maybe it rains or some unexpected situation at the fields pops up. So um, plan B could be to jump in the cages or do something off the field, or maybe maybe the, it rained earlier, but they didn't rain you out, but maybe the infield's too wet. So you've got to only be in the outfield. So have a plan and have a backup plan. Um, as far as your ages, uh, you know, don't get unrealistic. If you have five and six-year-olds, you probably don't need to work on uh, diving, let's say, um, for those those playmaker plays. Um, so cater to your age and also your skill level. And I think that's that's key, right? Everyone starts at a different level. Everyone has a different skill level, you know, and a, a, like a different baseline, right? So having a plan... It's huge. Um, having an effective practice is also vital to the success and the development and the fundamental part of softball, Jess. What do you think? Yes, absolutely. Um, when it comes to having an effective practice, um, just focusing on the drills that matter and also are both age and skill level appropriate, um, always focusing on fundamentals. Um, the boring stuff, as the girls would call it, uh, the things that you see, the high school, the college girls, the things that they're constantly working on that feed into those little repetitions throughout the game. Um, I know we call them dailies or every days, but making sure that all of your practices focus on the fundamentals. Um, I call it working from the ground up. Uh, I don't know if you guys see the, the little pun there, but on your grounders, literally um, bottom to top. So um, making sure that uh, at all levels, you have an emphasis on footwork, making sure that you're teaching them correct, the correct footwork as they receive the ball when they're catching it, as they throw the ball moving through a grounder. Um, uh, and then also moving those skills into a game-like setting or situation throughout practice. So, uh, for example, you could start your practice off with your dailies or your everydays, um, your, your hand-eye coordination drills, your footwork drills uh, for the for the younger girls, especially, um, regardless of necessarily skill level, I would say that every practice needs to incorporate some sort of hand-eye coordination. Every practice, they need to be playing catch. And then also bunning and base running. I think those are two very valuable skills that are often overlooked and can be truly game changers. Um, and then also building in some com uh, communication drills, because especially in those younger girls, as they're learning the game, they're learning how to play the game. They're not so sure of maybe their decision making or strategy or softball IQ yet. The communication drills are going to help build the confidence. The confidence builds into being able to make those decisions on the fly, even if you're not necessarily sure if it's the right choice, at least you're making a choice. And then it gives you an opportunity to kind of teach them. So you put those drills into game-like situations, whether it's scrimmages or um, controlled situations, um, ghost runners or, or kids that are on the bases as well. Um, you allow the girls to make those um, decisions and then correct them in an environment where 
there's no risk um, where it's safe to learn and you can talk about it instead of just throwing them into games, expecting them to know what they're doing and then having to address that either on site or after game, um, depending on your, your coaching style. But yeah, just an effective practice where the girls show up, they have fun, they learn something and hopefully you're able to build on that going into the next practice or game. So I think you hit on something future. Um, and I, I kind of want to take back for a second. We're talking about the reps and, and, and the rep- and you know the the repetition of it all. And as you know, I think we all know, and we've had conversations. You don't want to have bad reps, create bad habits. We want quality reps. You know, ten versus ten quality reps versus fifty bad. But because you know this podcast is kind of directed to all towards all ages, and you know a lot toward uh, yeah, excuse me, directed quite a bit towards the younger audience as well. What do you guys think? Like, what well, what do you do if the player is having an issue making adjustments? Like, as a coach, as a mentor, you know, who's teaching and molding the young girls, especially at a young age. At what point do you stop coaching if the adjustments aren't coming versus trying to work through it? Is there a certain amount of time, or is it kind of just a, a feel? I don't think there's just one flat answer for that. It's going to be case by case, kid by kid. Sometimes. Sometimes you might get frustrated because you keep repeating yourself and your, the adjustment's not being made, but it could be just that that particular kid doesn't learn by just being spoken to. Maybe they need to be shown. Maybe you need to actually help them move their body in the way that it should be moving. Um, so I don't think there's a flat answer for that, but I think definitely if you're having a hard time, maybe getting frustrated with the lack of adjustments, it may just be time to change your approach and how you are trying to teach that kid. Anything you want to add to that, Jess? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm Mike. I'm really surprised you didn't take my tagline. You had it teed up and everything. And you know, I I was waiting for it, and I'm gonna do a better job of not stepping on your guys' taglines because, as I have told you the first couple of podcasts, guys, I'm taking notes. So, like, I'm I'm I'm, I'm trying to think of shirt ideas, and I mean, I'm I'm three deep. So, please, by all means, coach. <laughs> Okay, well, I'm going to go ahead and say it. Uh, Bad reps don't make you better. Um, That's something that I really preach at any age, any skill does not matter. If you're creating um, bad habits, if you're encouraging bad habits, um, that goes into muscle memory. It's 10 times harder to reverse those reps than it is to build on something new or teach something new. Um, So I'm a big, big advocate of quality reps over quantity reps. So if you have 10 minutes and you can, um, you can take time to do 10 minutes worth of a drill and do it well, I would say do that. Don't spend 30 minutes or 20 buckets of balls or whatever um, number you can come up with in your head that makes sense to you. It's all about the quality of the repetitions, the focus that's going into it. Is their body, their brain, are the two starting to connect? Um, is it starting to click where it is becoming more of a good habit and more of a, a practiced um, trait throughout the repetitions that you're doing? And then kind of speaking back to what Heather mentioned, um, everybody learns differently. This is in kids, adults, just everyone in general. So I think it's important to meet the kids where they're at. Uh, Like Heather talked about um, if they're hands-on, some kids, you can tell them what to do and it just clicks and they get it. They can do it within the next three reps. Some they need to be shown, some they need to do it a few times. Um, I even have the girls that need to write it down and then ask questions and talk through it and process a little bit before it really... Uh, grasp for them. Yeah. So um, encouraging those uh, environments where it's okay to ask the questions, where it's okay to write things down, 
Um, I know we have a podcast called Softball School, but that's something that our team physically does where our girls uh, gather for a practice. They do about an hour worth of their actual schoolwork where they help each other um, work on homework and things like that. And then the rest of our practice is spent going over softball situations and asking questions and encouraging the girls in a group setting to ask for help on things that they do not understand. So I think the same thing goes for an actual practice, especially these younger girls that are trying to learn and um, they don't know what they don't know, right? So encouraging an environment where it's safe to ask questions, it's safe to mess up, it's safe to learn, and that everyone's on the same page in terms of common goal of teaching the game of softball, getting better. And then if we start winning from that, fantastic. If we don't, well, we're learning, we're having fun. And at some point it's going to click. It's going to click at different times for different players, but it will click. And, and I think just to, to, to round about, to, to, to wrap it up before I move on, um, communication being key here, of course, with the player, you know, if you're the one mentoring them and, and helping them and guiding them, like, Hey, like it's just not working today. It's not a big deal. We all have off days. We'll try it tomorrow. You know what I mean? Like just kind of like making sure they understand that it's no one's mad. It's nobody's fault. We're just not able to get it done today. Like we want. So we're not going to build bad muscle memory. Um, now efficient yeah, practice. I'm going to add on uh, to yes. that, Mike. Yes, yes. Sorry, I'm going to add on to that. Oh. So same thing, and like think about it as an adult. We're going to have like our off days, right? We're going to have days where we struggle, or it doesn't make sense, or it's just not going the way that we want it to. Um, and that's at any level of age or skill for these young softball players. So, like Heather said, take a break, walk away, go do something else, go distract yourself. If you want to come back to it and try again, great. If not try again the next day but it's okay to say like you said hey this isn't working I'm not going to force something I'm not going to create these bad habits by just going through bucket after bucket after bucket because mom or dad or coach said I need to hit 100 balls tonight like I don't think that's the right approach so again just knowing when it's okay to walk away when it's okay to acknowledge that that's not working and then try again now Heather, what do you think as it relates to, you know, the efficient practices as far as progressions, offensive, defensive stations? Um, you want to explain a little bit of that, what what uh, we can come to expect from that type of environment? Yeah. Um, so there's nothing at practice that I hate more than seeing two girls working and 10, 10 girls over there standing, waiting for their turn, doing nothing. Um, so we like to minimize the amount of standing around we do at practice. So um, one way to do that is to use your resources, especially at the younger age. Um, you have lots of parents that are eager to help. So put yes. them to work. Um, do some hitting stations, put them, uh, assign your parents to some hitting stations. You know, they can put balls on a tee or they can even do soft toss. You know, they can toss for some bunts. Um, put your put your parents to work. Um, use those resources. And then as the girls get a little bit older, they can be more independent. Um, you may still have some some parents help out here and there, but as they get older, they should be able to run most of those stations by themselves. At what age would you think that to be appropriate, Heather? I'm thinking like um, by the time they're, you know, nine, uh, nine and 10, they should be able to, for the most part, run those stations themselves. Of course, you're going to have coach, you know, kind of roving around or um, making sure that, um, you know, everyone's staying on task, but they should be able to to do those uh, stations themselves by that age, I would say. Um so being efficient at practice, uh, we like to work in stations or do progressions. So um, like I mentioned before, hitting stations. So you could set up a tee, 
Uh, you can do soft toss, front toss, and work your way into live. Um, I always prefer to start off on a tee um, whenever we hit. Um, it sort of just gets you loose and gets your, your muscles moving and, and getting that muscle memory uh, working. Um, before you move into live, I think that helps a lot. Um, live like meaning so, what? Uh, live, like if, you're, like if your coach is going to throw you some live pitches um, before maybe a game or during practice uh, to simulate what you would gotcha. see. Um, so for like defense, what you could do is you could start out with some, some dailies or some other uh, glove work drills. Um, and then work into some maybe some foot, footwork drills on, on a ladder maybe, and then uh, start working balls off of a bat um, to kind of work your way up into sort of the real deal type of uh, drills and practice. Um, yeah, that can all those things can help you uh, have an efficient practice and minimize that standing around and really maximize the amount of work and the value you're getting out of those short practices that you all right, breaking out of how to run an effective and efficient practice, we're dropping right in onto the bases as we tackle base running 101, part one. Yes, so, okay, so we talked about being in the box, how to get out of the box. Now we're going to work our way to first base. So um, early on as a hitter, once you start to get more consistent with your swing and more comfortable with just just the game and getting your reps in, you you begin to understand if you get a good hit. If you hit the ball hard, you have a general idea of where the ball goes. But until that point, um, especially our younger players, you're hustling hard down the line. And you're, um, if you know the ball is like on the infield or you don't know where the ball is, you're hustling hard down the line through the bag and about – four, five, six, depending on your speed, steps after the bag, you're breaking down into an athletic position, turning your head physically to your right, over your right shoulder, to see if you can find the ball against the fence. You are looking for an overthrow. In that instance, if the ball is overthrown and you know your speed, again, that's a big one. That's a big part of this conversation. If you think that you can get to the next base, um, to second base, one, it is important to know, especially our younger players and our younger coaches, you do not have to go back and touch first base before you go to second base. Um, that's very, very important. Uh, it could shave a couple of extra steps off of um, off of your line to second, and that could be the difference in you being safe for you being out. So just know if you find the overthrow against the fence, it's you see it, you turn left, you go straight to second from wherever you are at past the bag. Um, now, when you're running through first, another thing to mention is that we have the safety bag. Um, it's usually the orange or the red bag that's on the right side of the line. This is for our base runners. The white bag is for defense. It is important that respectively each of them stay to using their own bags. Again, this is a safety bag for a safety reason. This is trying to keep the runner from um, running into um, a helpless first baseman trying to catch the ball. It's to try to keep the first baseman from impeding the runner, maybe stretching to catch a ball. Um, it's just it's just a safety thing. So just no runners. We're going hard through that safety bag um, and then looking breaking down to find the ball. If you are, if you have an idea that you hit the ball to the outfield or you think that you may have an opportunity to take an extra base, you know you've got one, you might be able to go to, let's say it's to the outfield or potentially in a gap. We are not taking that straight line. We are bending around into a question mark or a banana, um, whatever your preference is of calling that 
that change in direction to get us into an angled position to be able to hit the inside corner, the inside left corner of the white defensive bag in order to continue on our route to second base in as short of a path as possible. Again, a couple extra steps makes a big difference, um, or at least putting us into a lead to go a few steps rounding the bag, find the ball, and make a decision if we can go or if we need to come back. Um, once you are on first base, let's say you, you're, you've hit it, next batter comes up, you're ready to, um, to – the next play is happening. Again, going back to that explosive base running, explosive out of the box, explosive at every bag. Every time you leave the bag, the other team needs to think you are stealing. I cannot – overemphasize that enough. Um, it's important. It's huge. It gives you extra momentum, extra speed. It's just, it's a game changer. Um, and then basic rule of thumb, any ball on the ground, you're, it's a force play from first base. It, it is that simple ball on the ground. You're going zero outs, one outs, two out. It does not matter. So just know from first to second ball on the ground. Um, we'll talk in just a minute about force plays versus read plays, but in that instance, ball on the ground, it's go. Um, and another point uh, on that ball on the ground, depending on where it's hit, we're picking up our third base coach. We're looking to see if he or she is waving us on for an opportunity to maybe take third on an uncovered back. Or let's say that the hitter lays down a bunt and third base crashes. We're at first base and nobody is paying any attention to third base. Um, and again, knowing your speed, if there's an opportunity to take that next bag, um, being aggressive and reading that and trying to, again, create opportunities to take extra bases. So um, on that note, I also want to add that when picking up your third base coach, it is not when you're standing on top of second base. It is about halfway between first and second. So let's say typically around where the second baseman stands, you're taking a peek over your left shoulder to pick up your third base coach and see if you're going to go base to base or see if he's waving you on to, again, take that extra base. So again, that's starting at first or getting to first, excuse me, or starting at first, moving our way over to second. Um, Heather and Mike, you guys want to chime in? Yeah, I've got something on the safety bag. I mean, almost every single time the runner's going to go to that orange bag and the defense is going to stay on that white bag. But um, it's in every rule book I've read, um, the defense is allowed to go to the orange bag in certain situations. So it's not going to happen very often. But let's say, for instance, there was like a drop third strike and it took the catcher over into foul territory on the first base side. In that instance, it's okay for defense to play the orange bag um, so as the runner, you knowing your situation, what, you know, what happened, how, why you're running down, down the line, um, you should be looking and, and if the defense is on that orange bag, you go for that white bag. It's a safety bag. It's not necessarily that you have to always stay confined to your bag, but it's there for safety, general safety. So um, there are certain rare instances where you may not go for that orange bag as the runner. Yeah, Jessica, I, I think you hit on a lot of good stuff there at first base. I, I don't have, um you know, too much to add on this one, aside from just, like you said, knowing your speed. And if you are quick and you are picking up, um and I think this is a general idea, right, or general mindset, like, go be greedy. Like, if, if your team plays that way, you know, go be greedy. Go try to always be thinking to advance rather than playing it safe if, if that, you know, is in your arsenal, I think, right? So 
I mean, aside from that, though, Jess, I think you guys covered a lot of the stuff. That was that was just my personal opinion on on that topic, I guess. What about third base? What about tagging? Do you only tag on a fair ball? Um, I'm gonna get to that in a minute, but you skipped a base, Mike. You have to go from first to second. I was just I was just rounding. I was being greedy. Sorry about that. <laughs> That's okay. Um, I'm gonna jump over to second base first, though. So, when you're a runner at second base, um, again, same thing. Explosive leadoffs. I think at second base, um, especially uh, if there is nobody behind you, you can afford to take a little bigger leadoff. That's a very long throw for a catcher and a smart base runner again knowing your speed I'm gonna reiterate that as many times as possible um would know that hey if the ball is thrown behind me um i'm in a position that i can quickly advance to the next base so um creating opportunities to draw throw um, move to the next bag uh if you have a runner at first and second base obviously that force play is on so ball on the ground we are um, running, we're, we're going no matter what, ball in the air. Um, that gets a little bit complicated. Again, different coaches are going to teach different styles. Um, that's going to be probably more so left to each individual coach. But I would say ball in the air with a runner at second base um, in the infield that you're obviously going to stay put because that would be with a runner at first and second. That would be an instance of the infield fly roll. Uh, if there is nobody behind you, um, I think it's a safe bet to get off a little bit and not necessarily tag, um, just depending on if it's hit to the infield or the outfield. If you're in a situation where um, general rule of thumb on pop-ups and tagging, if you're in a situation where the ball is short and you know you're not going to tag and go, I like to teach my runners to stay off the bag and get a comfortable lead where if the ball is dropped, you can advance to the next base. But if it's caught, then you can safely get back. Um, Jessica, what also, do you mean by if the ball is short? If the ball is short. So let's say I'm a runner at second base. Um, obviously, if it's hit on the infield or in front of me, um, you can't really go anywhere. You can take a couple of steps off the bag, but unless it is like booted or like hit and kicked over somewhere, you don't really have an opportunity to advance. Um, but let's say that you're on second base and there's nobody behind you, or even if there is, um, I like to teach my base runners to kind of run on their own situation. So let's say you're on second base and the ball is hit to like shallow, shallow right field. That is an instance. So between like a blooper between second base and right field. That would be an instance where as a runner, I'm probably not going to tag up and go if the ball is caught. One, because um, that's a very, very short throw. But two, most of the time on balls like that, you're going to have your right fielder hopefully calling off your second baseman. So her momentum is going to be coming through that throw. So in that instance, I would get maybe um, – Safe rule of thumb is I say four or five steps, but the easier way of saying it is a comfortable distance off the bag to where if the ball is caught, you know you can get back. Whether that is sliding, diving, whatever it takes, you know you can comfortably get back if the ball is caught. If the ball is dropped, you're four or five steps off. You have the uh, – it's a judgment call on your speed on whether you want to advance or not, but you're in a position to do so. Now, let's say that the – the ball is hit in the air and it's in right center field deeper and left field and right field are going for it. 
Um, this is, again, this is going to be just situational. It's so hard to just talk through it, but um, let's say that the ball looks like it's for sure going to be caught. In that instance, as a runner, I would tag because I'm for sure going to be going three with the intention of trying to, to at least get around or look to be going four. Um, let's say that it's in the gap and both runners are both um, outfielders are going for it and it does not look like it's going to be caught. It's in the air, but as a runner, I'm turning to see the ball and I don't see, I don't think that it is going to be caught. In that instance, I'm going to continually creep and creep and creep and be moving towards the next bag. And as soon as I know that that ball is not caught, I'm going to be advancing to third and going home because um, with it being that deep and hitting the ground, I'm, I'm halfway to third and third to home. That's a long throw for any outfielder. That's a risk that I would be wanting and willing to take from second base um, on a ball to that side. Now let's say I'm at second base and the ball's hit to like shallow center field. Again, if I'm not going to tag and go, then I'm going to stay, I'm going to turn and open up my body to find the ball. So what I mean by that is my leadoff is facing the infield, the batter, the pitcher, as it's hit, I am physically going to turn my body, open up my hips and face where the ball is hit so that I can fully see it to make a decision to move left or right, either to the base that I came from or the base that I would like to go to. Now let's say I'm at second and the ball's hit shallow center. Again, four or five steps off if I don't think I'm tagging and going. If it's like carrying my outfielder back or it looks like it's not going to be caught, I'm getting off and off and off and I'm taking the risk that that ball's not going to be caught and I'm going to try to be greedy and take two bases as opposed to playing the safe route and tagging and going for one. That is how I like to run the bases. Other coaches may teach you differently, but I, I, again, going back to the aggressive, the aggressive base running, I'm always looking to take as many bases as possible. Um, and then last one, let's say it's uh, again uh, on second base and the ball's hit to left field. Okay. I can open up. I can see the ball's hit in front of me and that is a close throw to the base that I'm going to go to. Um, again, I'm going to get off as many steps as possible. Um, to where if the ball is caught and I'm not tagging, I can get back. And if the ball is caught, I mean, is, is dropped, then I can comfortably go to the next base if I'd like to. Now, with that being said, if the ball is hit to left field and the left fielder is running back, like let's say it's hit over their head, I, I teach my runners to tag on that instance because – that is usually a guaranteed one base, but depending on your speed and situation and obviously the, the coach's coaching style on an, a ball that's hit to the outfielder running back, it is going to be very difficult for them to catch, stop, plant, turn around, and make a good throw online for a tag as well. So in that instance, ball hit over the outfielder's head to left field in front of me. I'm going to be tagging on that with the intention of taking one and potentially two bases. Does that kind of make sense, Mike, and answer your question? I mean, yes. And then you covered everything else. Like, I'm sitting here. I was like, I'm going to say this. Okay, she's going to cover this. All right, guys. That'll go ahead and do it for the Encore Week here at Fundamental Fast Pitch. Uh, if you want to get into any of those episodes, be it uh, number 10, base running number uh, 101, part one. If you want to get into how to run an efficient and effective practice or the yes, yes, no mentality, all those episodes are available online and their full capacity through the Fundamental Fast Switch website, through Spotify, Anchor, uh, 
Apple Music, Google Podcasts. So if you want to listen to all that, any of it, go and go back. You can listen to the entire thing. This was an encore. We kind of getting into this, um, you know, breaking it back down and kind of explaining it and going back through from the beginning. Uh, we have a lot of new listeners, as we touched on earlier on in the week. And, you know, I think this might be a fun format to revisit once every couple months to kind of recap and highlight some of our most listened to episodes. But until next time, it is me, Mike, here in spirit with Jessica Tanner and Heather Maloney. And we will see you guys next week.